It's great to be with you again. Uh, I, when I was 17, I crashed a quad and I fractured seven vertebrae. And it was not, it was not a fun day. Um, I took like a two and a half hour bumpy ride to the hospital from the place that I had crashed and uh, took all the x-rays and the CAT scans and I had a concussion and I had broken a couple ribs and the doctor said I had done something that he had never seen done before. I tore my trachea. I don't even know what that means exactly. I don't know how you tear a trachea, but I managed to do it. Um, and the, the amazing part of this story is that after such a crazy injury, three months later, I pole vaulted during the track and field season. And I'm convinced that the reason why is simply this, I am the son of a chiropractor. <laughs> and so what this means is I had, I had accessible, unlimited, free chiropractic care to help rehab me from this injury. And I was like, man, I was good to go in, in short order. And the reason I tell you that is because there are unique blessings that come to you by virtue of your connection to particular people, right? Like I've got, I've got friends whose uh, dads are airline pilots, and so they fly everywhere as often as they want for free. There are unique blessings that come to you because of your connection to particular people. And what we're talking about this weekend as we dive into John 15 is the reality that Jesus is the only one who can give us the blessings that we most deeply long for in true spiritual life. Jesus is the only one who can offer us what it is that our hearts and our souls desperately and deeply long for. He's the only source of the blessings that come with the true spiritual life that he provides. And so as we talked about last night, when we abide in Jesus, when we recognize that we are the branches that desperately need life, that don't have it on our own, and when we see that Jesus himself is the source of all life, that he is the vine, and through abiding, which we said was believing in, receiving from, and communing with Jesus, we have a life-giving attachment to the vine. Our branch is connected to the source of life, and what we're going to see as we spend these next three sessions together, we're going to walk through these 11 verses, and I want to show you nine unique blessings that come to you and to me when we are connected to Jesus Christ. And so I don't know about you, but I would love to experience nine blessings that are unique to those who are connected to the Lord Jesus. And so... If your heart longs for that, if you need that, then I'm going to ask you to come with me on this journey as we walk through these verses, and I'm going to begin all of our sessions together by just reading these 11 verses. I don't think we could read them too many times. They are a blessing and a gift, and they are, in fact, the very Word of God. And so let's give our attention and our regard to the Word of God as we read John 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, we've got nine blessings, and we're going to cover three of them in each of the sessions. And here's how we'll do it. We're going to unpack it under this heading. When I am connected to Christ, when I am connected to Christ, here's the first three of the blessings, starting with number one. When I am connected to Christ first, I am protected from judgment. I am protected from judgment. Jesus begins the metaphor by saying, I am the true vine. And then immediately he introduces another character. Now, for many of the times that I have thought about this passage and many of the times that I have heard this passage even taught, there is almost like this exclusivity, like this is me and Jesus. This is all about me and Jesus. This is about me and my connection to him. And yet, in the very first words that Jesus uses to unpack this extended metaphor, it's not just me and Jesus. He actually says there, if you'll see the text, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, uh, the church that I planted a few years ago, we spent about two years going through the Gospel of John. And one of the things that I learned as we went through the Gospel of John and as we taught every word of it is that Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, but also in the other Gospels, he does nothing without reference to the will and the agenda of his Father. In fact, he will say explicitly over and over and over again, I have come not to accomplish my own will, but the will of my Father. I do nothing outside of the Father's will. I have come to accomplish the Father's mission. In fact, if you look, if you've got your Bible in your lap, just look at the last verse of verse 14, of chapter 14, sorry. He says, he has no claim on me, that is the enemy, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. He operated out of this unity with the Father, and he operated according to the will of the Father. And it is no less true here as he gives this metaphor of himself as the vine, as the source of all life. He now introduces the Father as a primary character in this metaphor. And the first two blessings that we're going to cover are related to the work of the Father in relationship to our connection to Christ. So he says there, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So there is the vine, which is this source of nutrients and life and vitality. And then there are the branches that are connected to the vine. But then there is the vine dresser who sits outside of that relationship between the vine and the branches, but gives himself to the work of tending that relationship to make it fruitful. 
This, this is what the Father is doing. And there are two activities that are described in verse 2 that the Father does as he tends the vine. He, he does two things. He purges fruitless branches and he prunes fruitful branches. And so we're going to take those two activities one at a time. And the first one is that he purges fruitless branches. Now, this is a, this is a very sobering part of this story. It's this picture that the vine dresser, if you see there in verse 2, it says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, verse 2 kind of leaves that there. But if you've got your Bible in your lap, throw your eyes down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, this is what happens to the branches that are taken away. If anyone that does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, it is tempting to try to make this sound or feel somehow less severe than it is. But this is exactly what it sounds like. In fact, this metaphor doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the reality of God's judgment that it represents. God created the world, spoke it all into existence, and therefore every created being owes their allegiance to the God who created them and stands in authority over them. And yet, human beings, just like you and me, have not decided to give our allegiance and our obedience to our maker, but rather in sin have rebelled against him, have dishonored his law, have denigrated his holiness, and have walked away from him in utter disobedience. And the resulting reality, the resulting response from a holy God is judgment. When you and I live utterly fruitless lives, detached from the source of all life, and stubbornly and obstinately refusing the gift of grace that God has offered in his finished son, the Lord Jesus, the right response of a holy God is judgment. It is this kind of judgment that's pictured in this metaphorical way of fruitless branches being gathered into piles and then being burned. The reality that's communicated here is the reality of hell. That there is a judgment that awaits all those who reject God and who refuse to accept his offer of forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know in our day and age this is a very unpopular topic to cover. It's something we certainly don't like to talk about. In fact, whole swaths of people have rejected the idea of God altogether because of his wrath and because of his justice. But stop for just a moment to, to think about even just this metaphor. If a, if a vine dresser desires a healthy crop, then he must do the work of purging. This is what actually a good vine dresser does. This is not what a sadistic, evil, mean, cruel, twisted vine dresser does. This is what a faithful, good, wise vine dresser does. Do you know why? Because if he doesn't purge, if he doesn't cut away the fruitless branches, if he doesn't burn them, if he doesn't get them away from the rest of the crop, then it will pollute and corrupt the entire thing. And it all comes down if the vine dresser doesn't do this wise work 
of purging. I mean, think about it. If the thing that you have created, despite every intervention, despite every offer, despite every effort, does not do the thing that it was created to do, the, the right response is this. The right response is to gather it up, to put it in a pile, and to burn. Now, God has given so much grace in the metaphor of the vineyard, God has cleared away the rocks. God has tended to the soil. God has planted seeds. God has watered them. God has cared for them. And yet often, you and I, we still bear no fruit. And yet what is so compelling about this passage is that it's not every branch that gets purged. God, in his mercy and in his kindness, God is so full of love that he is more than willing to withhold what we deserve. And this, this is the, the grace and the mercy of the gospel on full display. It is Jesus saying, I know that by yourself you are lifeless. And what you deserve and what you have earned is the judgment of God. But because I am gracious and kind, I have more than enough life to share it with you so that you will not receive the judgment that you have rightfully deserved. You rather can be spared. Now, this paragraph at times has raised a, a very pressing question because if you notice in verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So the question has been raised often. Does this mean that you can be a Christian, you can be attached to the vine, you can be made spiritually alive, you can be born again, you can be adopted into God's family, and you can still go to hell? And I, I do not think that that's what this paragraph is teaching. Because consistently through the gospel of John, as John unpacks what it means to be saved, to believe and receive in the Son of God, to be born again, to be one of the sheep of his pasture, Jesus uses the language of permanence. Think of John chapter 10. My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. They respond to me. He says, I hold them in my hand and no one will ever be able to snatch them out of my hand. So what it, what it is talking about here, when it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit gets ta taken away, thrown into a pile, what it's talking about is the biblical and practical reality that there is a type of attachment to Jesus that does not actually give life. And if you're paying attention and you're reading your Bible, you see this over and over and over again. I mean, think just, think of a couple examples. Think of Judas one of the 12 men that Jesus chose who walked with him and according to the gospels, apparently performed signs and wonders and cast out demons and was healing people and was teaching in the name of Jesus. And yet in the final analysis, though he had a kind of attachment to Jesus, he had no genuine life in him at all. He was, the scriptures say, he was a child of the devil and he revealed himself in the end. Think about places like John chapter 8 where it says that some of the disciples, these are people who were walking with him. They, Jesus, will turn to them and will say, you are of your father the devil. And at the end it says they turned away from him and they no longer followed him. And John, much later after writing his gospel, when he writes his epistles, when he writes 1 John in chapter 2, he will say, in, he will say that they... This is a group of people who left and abandoned the church, who walked away from the Lord Jesus and say, they went out from us because they were not of us. 
So there is, a, there is a kind of attachment that you can have to Jesus. There is a lip service that you can pay to Jesus. There's a, an amount of time that you can spend in a church. There's ways you can serve and even things that you can do. And yet those things don't fully and finally prove your life-giving attachment to Jesus. But the first and perhaps the most relieving, because if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, wow, this is very unpleasant to talk about hell and judgment. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, and it is supposed to be. If we, could, if we could talk about or think about the reality of hell and judgment and feel fine about it, we're not talking about it the way the Bible does. And we're not rightly and appropriately feeling the weight of the wrath of a holy God. If you feel a little uncomfortable right now, you ought to. It is good for us to come face to face with the consequences of our own sin. And yet, it is, it is when we come face to face with the reality of judgment that we deserve that the glorious freedom and forgiveness of the gospel is good news. You can say it this way. Until sin and judgment is bitter, Forgiveness will not be sweet. If you don't rest in the, in the heavy reality of the judgment of God that you have earned, what do you need a Savior for? Why did Jesus go to the cross if not to take the fury of hell's judgment upon his own shoulders so that we would be spared from it? If you live your whole life avoiding the heavy reality of God's wrath against sin, then the gospel will mean less and less to you. But if you recognize that in myself, I'm a fruitless branch, and what I deserve is to be gathered up in a pile and burned, and yet what I have gotten is because Jesus Christ came to this earth and because he stood in as my substitute, because on the cross he was being treated in the way that I deserve, because Jesus was gathered like a fruitless branch and thrown in a pile and burned under the weight of God's judgment, I now no longer have to experience that reality, but rather I am grafted into the vine and God's life courses through me and I am forgiven and free because I have a substitute and a savior. And so the very first and maybe most pressing blessing for us to realize that comes through connection to Jesus Christ is that I am spared from the judgment that I deserve. Hallelujah. Praise God the gospel is good news. We're spared what we have earned. That's what the gospel is. If you don't have a gospel message that says that, you don't have a gospel at all. You deserve God's judgment, but you instead have been given God's life and God's love and God's mercy and God's care. As a true branch, I am protected from judgment. I would just plead with you today. If you have lived your whole life around the things of the gospel, if you have lived your life around the church, if you know the lingo, if you can speak the jargon, and yet you know in your heart of hearts you have never truly been connected to Jesus, I would just plead with you today, run to him. Lay down all of the pretenses. Give up all of the acts. Stop pretending. You might be able to fool the people around you. You cannot fool God. Run to him with open hands and say, God, I need your mercy. And you will find that his grace is fully and eternally available to everyone who calls on his name in faith.
You can be, you can be saved today. You can be saved right now by the mercy of this vine dresser and this vine. As a true branch, when I'm connected to Christ, number one, I am protected from judgment. Number two, here's the second blessing of nine. As a true branch, number two, I am pruned for growth. I am pruned for growth. Verse two carries on, and it says this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Here's what's, here's what's being pictured here. If you are a true branch, and if you have a life-giving attachment to Jesus, there is, a, there is an inevitable outcome, and we'll talk more about this, but the inevitable outcome of connection to Jesus is that you will bear fruit. We're going to define that. We'll talk about what that is. But you will bear fruit. And, and the promise of verse 2 is that if you bear fruit truly and genuinely, the vine dresser, the father who is tending to your relationship with Jesus, he will prune you so that you bear more fruit. Now, this is an uncomfortable reality. Because you don't have to be a gardener. You don't have to be a green thumb. You don't have to be a plant expert to know what pruning is. Here's what pruning is. When you have a bush or you have a plant or you have a tree, you have some living organism, always in the life of that organism, there are the trunks or the shoots or the bushels that have the life and the fruit in them. And then there are, there are little offshoots. There are little branches. There are little leaves that are not going to contribute to the fruitfulness of the plant. In fact, all they're going to do is divert the nutrients that would go to the fruit. They instead go to these little spurious branches that are offshoots. And what a, what a wise vine dresser will do is go to that vine and find the little offshoots and with a knife will cut them off of the plant in order to redirect the vitality and the nutrients to the places of the plant that are actually bearing fruit. And so here's, here's what that means in your life. Here's what pruning is. Pruning is the painful process of God cutting out of your life that which will not lead to greater fruitfulness. God is, God is totally committed as your loving, wise, heavenly father. He is totally committed to caring for you in a way that makes you look more like Jesus, that causes you to abound more in the fruit of the spirit. And what that requires of him is to take out his pruning knife and to cut things away from your life. Now, at this point in the message, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, hold on. Okay, so you're telling me, Nick, that if I am a fruitful branch, you're telling me if I'm connected to Jesus and I'm doing the right thing, I am where I'm supposed to be and I'm bearing fruit, you're telling me I'm going to get cut? Yes. Yes, I am. And what you need to see here is that God, 
does not cut you in spite of his love for you. He cuts you because of his love for you. In fact, this text sings in perfect harmony with a place in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to go there and read that first section there, it is so extraordinarily helpful. Rather than using the metaphor of a vine and a branch and a vine dresser, it uses the the metaphor of a father and his children. And Hebrews chapter 12 says that God disciplines those whom he loves. Now, discipline, the text will say, it is painful rather than pleasant for the moment, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And here's the point of Hebrews chapter 12. If you never get disciplined by God, if God never does hard things in your life to cut away that which is unnecessary and will not lead to greater fruitfulness, if God doesn't discipline you, Hebrews 12 says, you are not a son or daughter. So you should not resent God's loving discipline in your life. You should long for it, despite the fact that it is painful rather than pleasant. It is the only way that you can be truly confirmed in your adoption into God's family, that you belong to him. So he cares for you, which means he disciplines you. I know this even as a young parent. It is not the parents who discipline their children who don't care about them. It's the parents who neglect to discipline their children that do not care about them. And you've seen those kids at the mall. (laughs) It's a disaster. You're like, you look at those kids and you're like, man, I wish mom or dad loved you. It's tough. And, And that's a hard reality, but it's a true reality. Children who are loved are children who are lovingly disciplined. And so it is here. Now, you might still even be saying, well, well, Nick, I just don't want to get cut. I don't want to get cut. That sounds painful. That sounds hard. I'm not interested. No thanks. But pay careful attention. Did you notice that in verse 2, every single branch gets cut? But you get cut for one of two things. You get cut off for condemnation, or you get cut back for cultivation. And those are your only two options. You do not get to choose whether or not you get cut. You you just get to choose through your life-giving connection to Jesus and your humble reception of the vine dresser's care what you get cut for. And I don't know about you, but I would way rather get pruned even though it's painful, so that I can grow, then get cut off from the vine so I can receive the judgment that I deserve. Those are the only two options. Every single branch gets cut. I read one guy who said it this way, and if it be painful to bleed, it is worse to wither. Better to be pruned to grow than be cut up to burn. Like a good surgeon... God will make a painful incision to bring about ultimate healing. Like a good father, God will wisely apply discipline to train his children. And like a good vine dresser, God will prune his fruitful branches so that they bear more fruit. It's not sloppy. It's not haphazard. It's not mean-spirited. This is the sovereign, attentive, wise care from the hand of a God 
who loves you. So here's, here's good news for you today. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have a life-giving attachment to the vine, you never need fear God's judgment. This is the best news in all the world. We just spent like 15 minutes talking about it. If you are truly attached to the vine, you will never be cut off. And so what this does is it dispels one of the most, I think, pernicious lies that we believe as followers of Jesus. When we encounter hard things, when we suffer, when we experience loss, sometimes we turn that on God and we say, well, God must be judging me for something that I've done. God must be expressing his condemnation for, for me because of something that I am or something that I, has happened. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is never the case. Never. All of the wrath that God had for you was poured out on his son. And God doesn't do double jeopardy. God doesn't double up on his wrath. If Christ took it in your place, it is paid in full, period. So all that God has for you now is love. All that he has for you is fatherly care. And sometimes that's going to require pain. Sometimes it's going to hurt but it is for your good. Now, I want to make this concrete for you. What does this look like? What does it look like to get pruned? Well, here's, here are three things that I believe God will cut out of your life. Three things God will cut out of your life. First, this one is maybe most obvious. God will cut sinful things out of your life. God will cut sinful things out of your life. This one is, this one is by far the most obvious. If there are things in your life that are expressly contrary to the will and command of God and therefore are sinful, they are not for your good. No matter how much you love them, no matter how much pleasure they bring you, no matter how much you feel like you can never give it up, it's not for your good. So wherever it is that you are walking in sin, whether it's in anger or envy or anxiety or lust or greed or violence or wrath or slander or gossip, where, wherever it is in your life that you have ongoing expressions of sin, one of the loving ways that God will prune you is he will cut sin out of your life. By the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he will bring it to your attention. You will feel conviction, which is not shame. That is like God's warning symbol. It's like God's light on the dashboard to say, check engine on your soul. Something's wrong. You will feel conviction. And the, Romans chapter 2 says, it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And you will turn away from that sin. You will leave it behind. And you will pursue purity and obedience. And that will be a measure of God's pruning care in your life. He will cut sinful things out of your life. That one's obvious. But here's two more. God will also cut trivial things out of your life. Trivial things. God will sometimes remove things from you that are morally neutral, but will not contribute to your further fruitfulness. There are some things as you grow and as you mature that are not bad in and of themselves. This could be, it could be hobbies, it could be relationships, it could be things that, like interests, it could be something that's just neutral, and yet sometimes, for one reason or another, it could be a city that you live in or a school that you go to. These things are morally neutral, and sometimes God will remove them from your life, not necessarily because they were sinful and bad or wrong, but because God in his loving care knows that that is the way you are going to produce more fruitfulness, trivial things. 
And then, and then third, and this is by far the most difficult, sometimes your loving God will not just remove sinful things. He will not just remove trivial things. Sometimes God will remove good things. This is by far the hardest one to accept, by far. Sometimes God removes good things. Sometimes God takes things out of your life that he also says are blessings. God says that things like good friends are blessings, and sometimes you will just lose a relationship. God says that physical health is a good thing, and sometimes he will take it. Sometimes in his sovereign care, he will lead you into a season of sickness or suffering. Not because he is judging you, not because he, you are supposed to be experiencing his wrath, but because he loves you. One that I have seen in, in the young church that I pastor is I have seen God in his sovereign wisdom not allow young couples to have children. And there are there are few more difficult and gut-wrenching scenarios to sit with a young couple who longs for what God says is a blessing and cannot experience it. And yet I have seen over and over and over again as people like that in a situation where something good has been stripped from them, I have seen it deepen their dependence on God. I have seen it strip away so many other unnecessary things in their lives and make them run to the Father where they receive his grace and mercy in a way that they otherwise would not. You see, God, once again, God is not manipulative. He is not capricious. He is not vindictive. God never removes a good thing just so he can have a laugh or that he can take pleasure in your pain. God never removes a good thing that he doesn't intend to replace with an ultimate thing. When God removes a good thing from someone who belongs to him, he replaces it with more of himself. And as painful as that is to endure, it is for our good. I was speaking with someone from our church when we were talking about this passage as we moved through the Gospel of John. And this is a young dude. He's probably 25 years old. He's, he's in our church family. And he has, he has a horrible autoimmune disorder where his, his joints, his joints ache and his body is filled with chronic pain all the time. And he's like been a healthy young dude. He didn't do anything to like deserve this or earn this. He just has lost his physical health and he suffers in pain all the time. And I was talking to him before I preached about this passage. And he, this is what he said to me. He said to me, if I didn't suffer, I wouldn't pray like I do. I have an intimacy with God that I would never have if my body was perfectly healthy. That's what he said to me. And I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what your journey of discipleship has looked like to this point. And yet I know that if God is going to take you forward in discipleship, if God is going to take you deeper in connection to Jesus, it's going to involve some of his pruning work. 
So I would just ask you to open your life up to the Holy Spirit and say, God, what is it in my life that you need to or are trying to right now carve out and cut away because it will not make me look more like Jesus? And as painful as that might be, as difficult as that might be, I would never minimize that pain. It is that pain that God uses. He uses this crucible of suffering to purify and to test and to refine your faith so that it is proven and so that you are closer to him and you look more like his son, Jesus. This is, this is one, of the, one of the greatest blessings of abiding in the vine. You see, because the reality is that, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but everyone in the world suffers to some degree. Everyone suffers. When you suffer as a follower of Jesus, your suffering has eternal meaning. It has value for this life and for the next. It is preparing for you, 2 Corinthians says, an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. <laughs> so like, listen, you can suffer apart from the grace of God and you can suffer unto death and then you can experience judgment or you can suffer in this life with your eyes on your loving heavenly father with confidence and joy saying, God, this hurts, but I trust you and I'm holding on to your promises and I know that you're good and I know that you'll sustain me to the end. And when you die, all of your sin and all of your pain and every single tear the book of Revelation says will be wiped from your eye and you will be him. Psalm 16 says, in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's what the pruning is producing for those who are connected to the vine. And so I would just plead with you to, to joyfully and humbly embrace the care of the Father in this way. And then there's a third and a final before we go. We're almost done. This one's quick. It's verse 3. As a true branch, when I'm connected to Christ, not only am I protected from judgment, I'm pruned for growth. Number three, I am purified of sin. I'm purified of sin. We've already covered this in part. But verse 3 says, in, in the English language, it sounds like it takes a massive turn. You're kind of like, whoa, where did, where did, where did that come from? Verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, with all this talk of judgment and all this talk of pruning, like maybe even right now, you're like, wow, I came to Young Adults Retreat to get a shot of joy, and this is depressing. Why are we here? What is going on here? It's likely that with all that talk of judgment and pruning, there, there's kind of like this weight of anxiety like resting on these disciples. These, these 11 disciples that he's talking to. Judas has already left the room. He's talking to his guys. And he, he wants them to know about the care of the Father, as heavy as that might be, and yet right in the middle of what might be some fear and some anxiety, Jesus speaks here to reassure them, and he says this amazing truth. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now you're like, what does is, what is clean have to do with pruned? Well, two things you need to know. Number one, uh, the act of pruning, in a sense, is an act of cleansing. It's an act of cleansing a plant from that which is unnecessary to make it more fruitful. So there's, a, there's a, a connection there. But if you were reading this in the original language in which it was written, you would see a very obvious wordplay between the word for pruning and the word for clean. They, they, in fact, if you put them in the English language, they would rhyme. 
so that as you were reading this, it would be very obvious to you that those words are in parallel. So what Jesus is effectively saying here is every branch that bears fruit, he will prune. And then it's as if he's looking them and saying, don't worry, you are already pruned. You are already cleansed. Now, why is this such good news? Because what he's telling his followers is, yes, you are in need of ongoing cleansing. You are in need of ongoing purity. You are in need of ongoing pruning. And yet the ultimate work of salvation and cleansing has already been accomplished on your behalf. It is done. It is finished. So this is why the gospel is so freeing because the good news of the gospel is not do better and try harder and God will love you. The good news of the gospel is you are already loved. You are already welcomed into God's kingdom. Jesus Christ has accomplished all the work on your behalf through his life, death, and resurrection and now you are welcomed into the fullness of that grace and all of your obedience is not to earn the grace of God. It is in response to the grace of God. So every single Christian exhortation that you should ever hear from a pastor, a preacher, a friend, a counselor, someone in your small group who will exhort you from the word of God to do something, every single Christian exhortation is just this, become what you already are in Christ. It's not earn something. It's not achieve something. It's not become something that you are not. The scriptures say this over and over again. When you are united to Christ, you are forgiven. You are sanctified. You are holy. You are made right. And yet your journey of sanctification is a progressive walking out of that truth. That's good news for you and for me. It's good news for us that we are purified of our sin. That... When we sing the words of the song, they are true for our souls and for our lives. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. This is, guys, the best news in all the world. No matter what you have done, no matter what memories haunt you when you lie awake in bed at night, no matter what kind of guilt and burdens and shame you feel for what you have done or what has been done to you, you can be cleansed and forgiven by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you experience that cleansing, you experience that forgiveness through connecting to and abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus. These are some of the unique blessings. We've covered three. We've got six more. So much goodness in this text and so much that comes to us uniquely as a blessing because of our connection to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, I am so thankful that you love us enough to tell us the truth. I'm so thankful that you don't beat around the bush. You don't dodge the hard questions. God, you, you tell us about ultimate reality, the way that it really is, in a way that we can understand. And so, God, I, I pray that you would help us to remember today that if, in fact, we are in Christ, that we have been spared the judgment that we deserve, that we are guaranteed that you will care for us by pruning us and cutting things away from our lives to make us look more like your son and that we have been purified, we've been cleansed, we've been washed by the water of your word. We have been cleansed by the blood of Christ from all unrighteousness and now we belong to you. God, help us to rest in these great blessings. Help us to cherish them. 
And help us to live from a place of gratitude and obedience that flows from a heart that understands and knows these great blessings. Lord, we love you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.